Good morning. Glad I could give you guys just a glimpse of uh, what I do at Metro in that video. Um, why don't you guys look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Now let's say it like we love our neighbor. Say, I'm glad you're here. All right, now we're in church, loving each other. That's good. If your neighbor falls asleep, you can just nudge him in the, with your sharp elbows, all right? All right. Well, I'm really um, excited, honored to be here uh, one more time. Yeah, it's been about uh, four times that I've come to Rada and shared about Metro and, and what I've been able to do worldwide in, my, uh, in the ministry that I'm a part of. Uh, but I want to take time and uh, thank my grandparents for uh, coming today. Uh, like Pastor said, they were here probably before this building was built. And I remember coming to a VBS some random summer in that building over there. So time flies. And I um, want to take the time and uh, honor my dad. It's actually my dad's birthday today. And he is turning 42 again. So you guys can tell him happy birthday. Um, but thank you guys for joining me. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about, you know, the next chapter God has me in and also just take the time and give a lot of praise reports of what God has done um, through Red Baptist Church in places all over the world. It's really amazing um, when you actually sit down and you think about the lives that are impacted by the partnership of churches like Retta and ministries like Metro. That's the only way it works, is by churches, individuals working together. Amen? And um, so we'll take time for that. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, biggest praise report is I get to get married in July. Amen? It's a miracle. My grandparents can tell you it's a miracle, but I am getting married in July. She is real. Um, but another exciting chapter, you know, I'll continue to be uh, ambassador for Metro, uh, pointing people there and trying to continue to reach the lost in, in all the over 10 different countries that Metro's in. Um, but I'll actually be relocating um, and coming on um, as a full-time staff member at a church in South Austin. I'll have the privilege to be the uh, children's pastor and the missions pastor there. And so we are I'm really excited about that next chapter. Um, and I can tell you that my family is excited about the next chapter too because I'm not a, a plane right away, I'm a car right away. Um, but I will continue to, uh, um, to support Metro in any way, shape, or form I can. You know, it's not like I'm changing teams, I'm just changing locations. And so I encourage you guys to stay a part of Metro as well for those of you ha who have supported. And, and my hope is that you'll continue to support the work that God is doing globally. Um, and so I just want to take that time uh, right now and just brag about some of the, the things this church has been a part of. Uh, I've shared many times about uh, the Philippines, the different feeding programs that Metro's doing there. You know, Metro's main mission is to is share the gospel, uh, but also to meet the needs of children and families worldwide. And we're able to uh, start up a feeding program there that you guys help support financially. And I ran the numbers, and you guys were actually um, gave enough through these past three or four years for us to be able to feed over 31,000 people in the Philippines. Yeah, give yourselves a hand clap. That's really a miracle, really awesome, um, what you guys have been a part of. And those uh, 31,000 meals, you got to understand, that's going to families that live off one meal a day. That's going to families who are uh, living in, in the garbage dumps, but it's also families that are hearing the gospel. We don't just feed them, but, but we tell them the good news, the, the news of salvation. 
Um, and I also want to thank you guys for supporting me as well as a missionary in New York. You guys know that's, you know, probably the most expensive city in the country. And I've never had a financial issue. And that's because of, of people um, who go to a church like this, like Retta, that have chose, I'm going to support a local missionary that's sharing the gospel in my own country. So for that, I, I want to thank you as well. And on top of that, um, for sponsoring kids, you know, this church has sponsored uh, 19 kids from all over the world. And that's just, I mean, monumental. Um, I was looking through all the churches I've, I've preached at and spoken at about Metro. And this church, I think it's number one in the amount of kids um, that have been sponsored. And it's from this church. So thank you guys for doing that. You know, it's a really life-changing thing when you decide, you know what, I want to support a child in need that's living in the ghettos of New York. Or I want to support a child that is living in the slums in India and dedicating and saying, I'm going to give faithfully so they can hear the gospel, but also decide I'm going to be the one that prays for them. I'm going to be the one that encourages them, giving them gifts at their, their birthday and on Christmas. And it really um, can have a life-changing impact. So thank you guys um, for doing that. And I want to share just how impactful um, that has been and, and will continue to be. If we can bring up that first picture, guys, I want to share about this family um, that we actually plugged into our uh, sponsorship program. And um, it was actually, picture was taken at a wedding, and I'll explain later. But all of these girls are actually living in New York City, but uh, at some point in time, their family came over from Yemen, all the way over from Yemen. And it's really cool. That's why it's so awesome, the mobile kids program that we do, because it is um, church outside out on the sidewalks. It's non-threatening. And so you have people from all over the world, from different religions, different backgrounds that are coming to this kids program because it's fun and it's exciting, but they're also hearing the word of God. And so this family is uh, all Muslim from Yemen. And so we decided to sign them up. They were coming faithfully for about seven years, seven years to this Christian kids program and so we wanted them to get a sponsor as well and so that sponsor it was a church and they said you know we want to we want to support metro's program so these girls can continue to hear the gospel and they begin to you know write letters send gifts and what it allowed us to do is this girl in the middle her name is tina and um, she's a staff at metro and she was able to go into their homes because of all the gifts that she was delivering in the family, they were so confused. Like, why are you giving these gifts away? Well, it's because this church, they love you guys. They pray for you. Uh, they care about you. And what it allowed us to do is be able to go into their homes, and Tina would have uh, Bible studies talking about the gospel in this family's home all the way from Yemen. And it was amazing, the breakthrough that happened, the relationship that was built Tina was actually the maid of honor in one of these sponsor girls' wedding. She was the only non-family member in the wedding. But it was because that relationship that was built initiated through that sponsor. And now, listen to this. All of those girls are now followers of Jesus Christ. They're all Christians. Yeah, give God a hand clap. It's really a miracle. A miracle um, that was started through saying, you know what, I want to love these people right where they are. 
And it's just amazing the breakthrough um, that's happened, even how successful the girls have been through the sponsorship, through prayer. You know, every one of these girls had an arranged marriage set from when they were uh, just kids, before they were 10 years old. And um, the dad has broken off every single one of those prearranged marriages. And you got to understand, uh, it's a very oppressive culture. The, the girls, they don't, um, all they do is have kids. That's, that's pretty much it. And now these girls, multiple ones of them are successful. They're going to college. They're getting a higher education and very independent. Just so much breakthrough in the family's life. Um, just goes to show you how powerful um, sponsorship really is. So thank you guys again for sponsoring a child. Um, I'm going to continue to sponsor mine. I know my, my dad will as well. So if you guys um, want to sponsor a kid as well, um, you can uh, check out. We have kids from all over the world in this back table. So before you guys uh, grab lunch, take a look. Um, read up about some of these kids um, that need to hear the gospel. Um, and as we move on and talking about, you know, expansion here and, you know, uh, Fellowship Hall getting done, Phase 2 getting done. Metro is continuing to expand as well, continuing to grow. And so we can bring up that next picture. Um, one of our big projects coming up is we want to open up a brand new, uh, what we call our outreach trucks. And 90% of our programs are ran out of these trucks where we can take them anywhere we want. It's a mobile church, church on wheels. And listen to this, this truck can reach... Um, it'll allow us to reach a thousand people in one week. And we go to those neighborhoods week after week, building those relationships, having church on the sidewalk. And so that's our next project is we hope to have this truck up and running, brand new truck uh, by next semester. So if that's something you guys want to be a part of as well and donate to that, um, this is going to be an amazing tool where we can reach out in places all over the city, reaching people from all over the world from Brooklyn, from Africa, from Yemen, like you just saw, through this um, mobile outreach truck. So that's something you want to donate to. Um, we also have these uh, shirts we'll be giving out to anybody who makes a one-time donation. Uh, so feel free to pick up one of our uh, Hungry for Hope t-shirts if you guys make a donation. Because, uh, again, that's the whole goal, is to bring hope uh, to those in need, bring the gospel to those in need. And um, now we're going to take some time, dive into the Word, and we'll have you out of here just in time for lunch. Don't worry. Time for dessert, too. So, uh, but let's take time. If you guys will get out your Bibles, um, and we will turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. Again, Jeremiah chapter 29. We'll be bouncing around in a few different verses. All right. So now when we, when we think about Jeremiah uh, chapter 29... Really think about what verse, right? It's Jeremiah 29, 11. All the, the, my friend in the front who's about to graduate or who already has, I guarantee you he's going to get about five graduation cards that say that verse, right? 
Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And that's what we immediately think about. Man, what a great promise that we have in the Bible. But really 90% of this chapter is really about um, pain. It's about pain. It's about suffering because you got to realize God's chosen people, the Israelites, they were brought into exile. They had their home, but all of a sudden they were in exile. And what does that mean to be in exile? Well, it means they were, they were oppressed. They were, they were kidnapped, taken away from their home, relocated by force. Being relocated by force. And they would even uh, change the names of the Israelites. Give them Babylonian names. So that is what it meant to be in exile. Being completely stripped of who you were, your identity, feeling that you had no purpose. And so I want, want you to imagine this for a second, right? You're, you're relocated from right here in Texas and brought to a place like China, all right? There's no Red Baptist Church in China, I don't think. I'll have to ask pastor, but I don't think there is, right? Relocated by force, you don't know your environment, you don't know your culture, and you don't feel at home, you don't feel at peace. That is what it means to be in exile. And, and on top of that, the Israelites, what's happening is the prophets are lying to them. They're taking advantage of them. There's a bunch of false prophets who are taking advantage of the lower class. And talk about being in exile, being in a dark season. That is what the Israelites were in. But I don't have to tell you guys to imagine what it's like to be in a dark time. I don't have to tell you guys what it feels to be in a spot where your voice doesn't feel heard because we've all been there, right? Anybody been in a dark time? I know I have many times in life. So the question then becomes is what do we do in exile, right? What are some things we can do when we feel silenced, we feel oppressed, we're, we're not at home, we're not, we don't have that sense of peace. And when I think of exile, you know, not, not being at home, I, I really think of the families I met in the Philippines. Uh, I went there, I think it was last summer, about a year ago, and for the first time I got to walk around um, in the cemeteries where about four or 5,000 families live and, and walked on top of just a wall of coffins where people build their homes. They have above-ground uh, coffins there. Man, talk about exile, right? These people don't have a—that's that's their home. Talk about never feeling at home, never feeling at peace. That's what I think when I think of exile. Or I think of my friends living in, in a dark time where— uh, two kids come into our program and their stepdad would only give them uh, cheese sandwiches every day for lunch and he had a separate fridge with the good food he kept for himself. He's literally starving his own stepkids. Talk about being in exile, being in a, in a dark time, dark season. So again, how do we, how do we answer that question? Well, we're, I'm going to give you guys uh, just four pointers on how we can deal with that. And the first one is point number one. If you guys are taking notes, it's, it's make the most of exile. 
Just make the most of it. So God's speaking to the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says this to the Israelites who are in exile. Verses 5 through 6. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too have sons and daughters and increase in number. Do not decrease. So wait a second. This, this whole nation is in a place they don't belong, right? They're, thou, they're, they're miles and miles away from home. They're out of place. They're given new names, stripped of their culture. They're basically slaves. And God is saying, hey, you know what I want you to do? Plant gardens. I want you to build homes, build houses. You know, building houses is not a temporary thing, right? But basically what he's saying, he's saying, make the most of where you are right now. He's saying build, right? Crazy. So for us, what does that mean? Well, it means the dark season we're in, we can either mope around, we, we can feel sorry about ourselves, or, or we can say, you know what, there, there might be a purpose in this. There might be a reason why I'm here. God has me here. So I will make the most of the exile that I'm in. I'll make the most of this situation that seems hopeless. I will continue to be rooted. I will continue to build my home, my family. And during that time, there was basically uh, three different types of Israelites. There was those that that completely conformed. They changed their entire, entire culture, the way they talked, the way they acted, the gods they worshipped. They conformed. Then there was those who rebelled. They completely rebelled against everything, said, no, we're not going to change this. We're not going to change that. And then there was another group that said, you know what? I'm willing to adapt my culture. I'm willing to make the most. I'm willing to start families, but I'm not willing to change the God that I follow. So that becomes the question is, which one are you when you're in a dark season? Hopefully, we are the ones as Christians that say, I'm going to make the most. That reminds me of, of my friend in, in New York who was in a dark season as well. Had, um, I think, three younger siblings. And before they were 10, I think they were about seven, eight years old. Um, dad was never around. And then the mom decided she didn't want their kids either. So both kids walked out, I'm sorry, both parents walked out on these four kids, right? And so they had a decision of how they were going to act, how they were going to be in this dark season, right? Feeling like that lack of purpose. And my friend Tabitha, you know, she became a volunteer at Metro. She started helping us reach the kids in her neighborhood, helped us point kids to Jesus. And now she's in college, you know, people in the Bronx where she lives, they don't go to college. They barely graduate high school. But she's decided, hey, I'm going to make the most of the situation that I'm in. I'm not going to let my season, my dark season, take control. I'm not going to let it dictate what I do. But she made the most, and that's what we need to do. Make the most of the exile we're in. Make the most of it. And then the next one we'll read about. You guys can turn to but one verse back. It's uh, verse 4. And point number 2 
is there's purpose in the exile, right? There's purpose in the dark times. There's purpose in the hard times. Verse 4 says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to all those I carried into Jerusalem to Babylonia. See, God actually carried them into exile, right? He was the one who allowed it to happen. But, but why would God do that? Why would God bring his own people, let, allow them to get displaced, right? Why? There was a purpose in the exile. And then we look in verse 10. This is right before the great promise we always read. Jeremiah 29, 11. You have verse 10, and nobody writes verse 10 on the graduation card. Could you imagine that? Let's imagine this on a graduation card, right? It says, then after 70 years of exile are finished, then I'll bring you this promise in verse 11, right? Hey, happy graduation. You'll have 70 years of dark times. That's a horrible graduation card. Don't put that on it. Right? But there was a reason. There was a timetable. God said, listen, after these 70 years, then I'm going to bring you to this promise of hope, this promise of future. There was purpose in the exile. And really, what God wanted to do is he wanted to uproot the Israelites and start over, have a fresh start. Because what happened was the Israelites were worshiping other gods. There's verses that talks about how the Israelites were actually sacrificing their own children. Right? So maybe the reason of exile was saying, hey, we're going to uproot you guys, put you somewhere else to where you have no choice but to rely on the one true living God. It was a, it was a reset. And sometimes we can do that to ourselves too, right? We can be in these things where we worship other gods. Maybe it's no built gods, right? We don't have any idols like that, but maybe it's, you know, we worship you know, other things. It might be our jobs, right? Our careers, advancing our careers. It might be that, that you struggle with, with drinking or, or, or drugs, these things, right? And that is other gods that we may worship or we may even get to this point where we start to put our kids and our families above God. And we turn those into idols. But maybe the season you're in now is so God is saying, hey, you're in this spot that's uncomfortable, but it's so you can lean on me. They would have no choice. The Israelites would have no choice but to rely on God because they were uprooted. They were not home. They were away from home. See, there's purpose in the exile. There was a reason for it. And I didn't understand the reason I was in dark times, right? There were seasons where my best friends were moving cross-country. My best friends were moving across the world. And I didn't understand, hey, why are all these people not here anymore? Or I had leaders in my life telling, uh, you know, my friends saying, hey, Landry's a bad influence. Don't spend time with him, right? It made me so frustrated. God, why am I in this spot where my friends are moving? And then there's people in leadership saying, hey, he's a bad influence, but I realized there was purpose behind that, and that was the time I got closest to God. That's the time I spent the most time in my life in Scripture, right? Spending time with God because I had no choice but to rely on Him. But there was purpose behind it, and there might be an even greater 
purpose. Um, if you guys will flip over, it'll take time, but uh, Daniel uh, chapter 3, verse 28. And we hear the story of uh, some Israelites who, who had climbed the ladder and started working for the Babylonians, started working for the king in his high course. And this is the story, we learn about it in Sunday school, right? Story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Israelites, they were actually given new names. They were in exile, just like Jeremiah is talking about. And climbing this ladder, and all of a sudden, the king says, all right, I want you guys to bow down and worship this man-made God. And if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a blazing fire, and you will die. You'll burn to death. And what ends up happening is, they decide, we're, we're not going to do it. We can't compromise our God. We're not going to bow down and worship this foreign God. And then we know the story. They heat up the fire. They're thrown into the fire. But do they burn? No, they don't. They don't burn. They actually survive. They don't even smell like smoke. They bring them out. And let's listen to this verse. This is, I find this very interesting. What the king the king who was oppressing the Israelites, listen to what he says in 28. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent angels to rescue his servants. So all of a sudden you have this king of an entire nation, and he's saying, Praise be to the one true living God, the God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego. You see, the purpose of them being in exile was to point a nation to the one true living God. Right? So imagine that, our dark time, our dark season. What if that is so you can point your family to Christ? So you can point your friends, your co-workers to the one true living God to where they won't even understand it. And they'll go, man, you should have burned. You should have been in trouble how did you get out of that? And you can say, because it's the one true living God. Maybe that is your purpose. See, there's purpose in the exile. And there's purpose for, for my friend Paulo. He was living in, in the Philippines, in the garbage dumps, already rough situation, and his entire house burnt down. Entire house. And his mom is, is struck out on drugs and actually sold the wood they got to rebuild the house, she sold it to go buy drugs, right? Paulo's in exile, has to live in the slums, live in this situation. But I believe there's purpose behind that because now he's the one raising up his younger brothers and sisters. He's the one that came to our Metro programs and found out about the love of Christ and is now telling his younger brothers and sisters about the love of Christ. He's the one that walks with me, and, and we pray for people in the garbage dumps. He's the one who, who helps us reach the kids in his communities, pointing them to Christ, saying, hey, there's hope even in this dark time, this dark season. See, there was purpose for Paulo being exactly where he was, in the slums, in the garbage dumps. See, there's purpose, a reason behind our dark season. There's purpose in the exile, and then point number three, 
when we're in exile is, is we need to pray. We need to pray. Jeremiah 29, let's go back to that chapter in verse 7. And it says this, it says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I carried you in to exile. Pray for it, because if it prospers, you prosper. Now, the prop, man, what Jeremiah is saying here is just so backwards to everything we think in our head, Right? Imagine the person that has oppressed you, silenced your voice, relocated you, the one who's taking advantage of you and praying for that person. Not only praying for them, right? We read that verse and say, all right, God, I'm praying for my enemy. That's one thing. But Jeremiah is saying, pray that they prosper. Pray that they do well. It's completely opposite to what we want to do ourselves. Maybe that means we need to start praying for those that, that maybe we've, we've decided to hate. Maybe praying for those who we hold a grudge against and praying for them, praying for them to be accessible, you know, praying for our boss that, that we don't get along with, praying for our family that, that we've had arguments back and forth with, praying for those people who have been abusive to us. Praying for them. Praying for our government officials, the ones we like and don't like. Right? Saying pray that they prosper. But then it goes on. If we skip ahead to uh, verse 12. We're reading 12 to 14 now. Let's talk about praying. And he says, then you will call on me and come to me and I will listen to you. See, if we call to Jesus, we call out to him in our time of suffering, our time of pain, guess what? Right there, Jeremiah is saying he will listen to you. He'll listen to you. He hears us when, when we cry, whenever we're struggling, when we don't understand what's going on. If we call out to him, he hears us. He feels our pain. He will listen to us if we call on him, we pray to him. And then in verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, when we seek him, we'll, we'll find him. We'll find God if, if we seek him with all of our heart. When we seek him in prayer, and I'm not talking about just praying, you know, for, for the Tex-Mex before we eat, right? God bless this. Turn it from fat into muscle. Amen. No, we got to seek God more than that, all right? We got to actually spend time seeking God with our whole heart. And then it says we find him. He finds us. It must consume our whole heart. Living that lifestyle of prayer, walking in prayer, seeking God in those moments of exile. And it reminds me, uh, my friend who's really struggling, talk about being in exile, a dark season, um, really was in the state of, of mental oppression, hearing voices to harm himself, hearing voices to kill himself, was admitted to a mental hospital. The guy I met in the Bronx at our outreaches. And man, we're just, we didn't really have any choice but to pray. You know, the doctors had no options. And so we prayed, right? We call out to God. Say, God, we need your help. We don't, we don't know what's going on. We just need Jason to be 
better, struggling week after week, kept praying, kept calling out to God, and, and now Jason's out, out of the hospital. He's, he's healed. He hasn't been readmitted for, for those mental issues, but started with praying, right? Seeking God's help. We got to pray when we're, we're in those rough situations, those seasons of exile. Now, there's a situation where um, because we do our outreaches out on the streets, man, we face all kinds of stuff, all kinds of um, just crazy people. And this guy was coming up to us and, I mean, just calling me racist and da da da. And why are you preaching white Jesus to black kids? I mean, he was ready to throw down, he was ready to beat me up. He kicked our cars, threatened us. He said, hey, never come back here or you're going to regret it, right? He was threatening to beat us all up, me and these three other girls, right? And I'm not ready to fight somebody. And so we pray, right? Hey, God, please protect us. I don't, I don't want to have to, to get in an altercation, get in a conflict with this guy. Help me with my, my temper. Help me be patient with this man. And so started to pray. And sure enough, right, in the middle of this program, there's 200 people there, and this guy comes, starts yelling at us, calling us names, and I just walked over and stood by him, and two police cars pulled right up next to us, and that was the end of that. I didn't have to do anything, but it started with, with prayer, right? And from that moment on, that we've never seen that guy again. It was taken care of. God handled it. He fights our battles for us. And the last one, and then uh, we're done. And that's point number four when we are in exile. It's we need to hold on to hope. We need to hold on to hope we find in God and his, in his promises. Let's go to verse uh, 17 in that same chapter. If you guys skim through that, you'll actually find out that God says, hey, you know these Babylonians who are oppressing you, taking advantage of you? Guess what? They're going to have plagues. They're going to have a famine, right? God is promising that justice is going to be served. And then in verse 20 through 23, he's starting to talk about the false prophets, the prophets of the Israelites who were sleeping with their neighbor's wives, right? Taking advantage, doing some horrible things. And if you read those three verses, you'll see that, said, hey, we're going to have justice for these false prophets. I'm going to give them over to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to have them executed. He's going to have them killed. Listen, we don't have to bring justice, right? Same with that situation, this man who was harassing me. I didn't have to bring justice down on him. God dealt with that. We, we don't have to seek that. We can hold on to that hope, that promise that those who have brought us into the dark seasons, who have maybe abused us or, or harassed us or silenced our voice, that God is going to be the one that's going to bring justice because we serve a just God. Amen? We can hold on to that hope that we serve a just God. And again, back to 29.11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and 
a future. So in, in the middle of exile, the middle of, of suffering and, and oppression and just being taken advantage of, God's people being abused, he said, listen, it's all right. I, I know the plans that I have, right? Sometimes we twist that verse and we make it our plans. God, you know the plans I have for myself. It's good plans, right? But God is saying, no, I, I know the plan. Don't worry about it. You don't need to know the plan. I know the plans that I have for you. And, and it's not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. But it's hope so we can hold on to that glimpse of hope in this dark season that, that God knows the plan. We're not, he's not going to harm us. But there's hope in future. You know that, I always kind of look back at that verse too when I think of um, just my life in general, but especially, uh, you know, childhood. And um, thinking through that, and, you know, there was times, not all the time, but there was times I kind of felt like that, you know, being in, being in exile, being somewhere I, I didn't feel comfortable or, or didn't feel that I belonged because I was struggling in school. I was struggling with uh, reading and, and writing. It was hard for me. It was tough. I had to work three, four times as harder as other kids in my grade, right? Didn't understand it, but I felt that I was in that, that season of exile. Didn't understand it. But now when I look back, I see that there was purpose. There's a reason behind it. Because now I, I, I get to minister to children who are struggling with the same thing. And I can look to them and say, hey, listen, God's plan is not to harm you. But he's still got a good plan, no matter what you're struggling with. He's got hope. He's got future. You know, now I see that, that, that God's plan for me was to minister to children in, in New York and all over the world and now um, in South Austin. I can tell them to hold on to that hope. And then last verse and we're done. Jeremiah 29 verse 14 talks about, you know, after these 70 years of exile, these 70 years of, of suffering, not being at home, God says that he's going to restore us says he'll bring us back to the place that we call home. Place where we have peace. The place where we find hope. It's interesting. I, I was telling my dad this the other day. I was like, man, I just, I want to be home. I just want to be home. I want to be back in New York. I want to be in my own bed. I'm tired of sleeping on couches or spare bedrooms or whatever. I like the smell of New York, the smell of my house, even though the smell of New York is awful right? But there's something about being home where you can let your guard down and, and there's less stress and worry, but you're, it's just peace because you feel at home. Oh man, feels like home. God's giving us that promise of peace, that peace we get when, when we're where we belong, right? Where our family is, where we have, where we're relaxed and we have true peace. But I believe it's also talking about another home. And this is what we should really hold on to. Because the thing is, your exile may last 70 years. 
may last 10 years. It may last, I don't know, it may last your whole life where you're just battling and battling and battling. But guess what? Our true home, where we find ultimate peace, it's not here. It's not here. It's in heaven when we meet God face to face. Heaven is our promised land. It's our, our ultimate home where we get to through Christ, making that sacrifice, dying on that cross. And that's really what we can hold on to is, hey, at the end of the day, the end of the suffering, the struggle, that God will bring us home. See him face to face in heaven when we have that relationship with Christ. Let's pray. And dear God, I, I thank you so much for uh, my friends and family here, God. I thank you for the many hours and and dollars that were invested so that kids could experience that peace that we talk about, that peace that's found through God, through Christ. I thank you for a church that cares about that, cares about pointing families that are struggling, they're in exile to Christ. We pray that you bless this church. And also, God, thank you that when we struggle, when we go through exile, when we go through a dark season, and it seems like 70 years and we'll never make it home, we'll never make it to the promised land, I thank you that you give us your word that we can hold on to. You give us your promises that we can hold on to. And I thank you that you do nothing by accident, God. But there's purpose in every situation that we go through. God, I pray that, that we would hold on to you when we go through that season of exile, of being out of place, going through a dark time, that we would hold on to you. In Jesus' name, amen.